Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Brody Kostecki continues to lead the 2023 Supercar Series following another impressive showing from Erebus in Perth. Kostecki finished the weekend with two seconds and a third to extend his points lead to 100 over Chaz Mostert. The three race wins, meanwhile, went to Shane Van Gisbergen, Will Brown and Brock Feeney. In Super 2, it was a breakthrough weekend for Kiwi young gun Ryan Wood, who won both races for Walkinshaw and Ready United. The GT World Challenge Australia race wins went to Yasser Shahin and Garnet Patterson and Liam Talbot and Max Hoffer, while Aaron Borg won the opening V8 Super Utes round of the season against a record field. There was some off-track tension in Perth too, with Erebus unsuccessfully protesting SVG's Saturday race win due to his driving standards. In other SVG news, it was revealed over the weekend that his new Triple Eight deal actually only locks him into supercars for one more year. The Mustang Supercars ran with updated engine mapping during the Perth Super Sprint, while Supercars also experimented with different shift cuts on the Mustangs in practice. Simona Di Salvestro has emerged as a genuine contender to join Walkinshaw Andretti United in a wild card alongside Warren Luff for the Bathurst 1000, and Dylan Thomas and Tim Brooke combined to win the TA2 Kings of the North title in Darwin. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate who is on a one plus one podcast deal, just in case a slot opens up elsewhere, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you this week? Hello, Andrew. I am very happy. You don't need to worry about that. There is no greener grass than the Castro Motorsport News podcast. That is very, very good to hear. I don't need you uh, defecting anywhere else. Um, let's uh, kick things off this week by debriefing the Perth Super Sprint. And the obvious starting point is SVG versus Brody and Barry, a battle that started on track and spilled off it afterwards. Um, in case you missed it, SVG and Brody ended up in a thrilling battle for the race win on Saturday evening. Brody had track position. SVG was the faster of the two. Brody defended very aggressively and SVG attacked in kind. Race control eventually intervened with a bad sportsmanship flag for Brody right before Shane got into Brody, not for the first time, as he grabbed the lead at turn six on the penultimate lap. Erebus later asked race control to investigate the move post-race, and when it was cleared, stumped up four grand and lodged a formal protest against the result. There was a hearing on Sunday morning, and the matter was eventually dismissed. Uh, Stefan, your take on how it all played out and, and what this means for the, for the racing or the rules of engagement, as the term is so often used is? Well, first and foremost, it was awesome to see Brody and Shane going head to head. Like it was, yep. Finally, we've got another driver in Brody who is not only as aggressive as Shane, but as smart as Shane with some of the car placement stuff as well. So, 
when they race each other, they're going to take it to the absolute limit. And that's that's what we want and that's what we saw on, on Saturday. Like These are big, heavy, wide touring cars. So you're going to get a bit of rubbing. And I just feel like if you penalise Shane for the way that played out, no one's going to have a go. So there's that part. I think the thing that did seem a bit off was that bad sportsmanship flag. But that yeah. felt like a communication issue as much as anything because they called it for blocking. But you can block, just not when the other guy has a little bit of overlap, which happened on the lap before the path. So even that, I think, was the right call. It just maybe wasn't communicated all that well over the race management channel that we heard through the TV. I think also just the sort of notion of this bad sportsmanship flag does hit a little harder than the flag itself actually does. Like it is a warning. It's not a penalty. You know, Brody wasn't penalised for anything that he did. It is just, as Beardo explained to various media outlets uh, after the fact, it's just a case of saying, hey, you are getting really close to the limit. And it was, but I totally agree with you. It was awesome. It didn't really need all that much intervention from anybody. And the drivers, obviously, there's different stages of driver reaction. So this sort of got brought up at the end of the day as well. I mean, you know, at the time, you know, the drivers are full of adrenaline and they're both on the radio complaining about the other guy. Shane's going, I can't believe this guy's blocking this much. Brody's going, why is this bloke hitting me and trying to run me off the road? They get out of the car, they shake hands, they go, that was actually awesome. They come in the press conference, they talk about how much fun the battle was and, you know, Brody was a little miffed about the bad sportsmanship flag, but generally there was quite a jovial mood and they were both sort of saying, no, this is really, like, if this is the way we can go racing, that's great. And Shane was saying, I don't mind the way he was defending. As long as I'm allowed mm. to sort of shove him a bit wide, I've got no problem with his defence. We just all need to be on the same page about the fact that, if you are going to be allowed to defend to that extent, you have to be allowed to make some contact to try and get through if you're faster, which is completely fair enough. And then an hour later, we find out that there's been a protest, which kind of took all the air out of this feeling of like, okay, well, we got cars that could race and these guys really want to race them and someone is stepping it up against Shane. And then they sort of go and protest it and it, it, it sort of felt a bit sort of, and it, you sort of knew the protest was never going to go anywhere and it was kind of, you know, that was – it didn't really fit the mood post-race. Um, so that was kind of – yeah, that, that that was interesting. It's good the protest wasn't successful. I think Erebus didn't expect it to be. That's what Barry Ryan told me on Sunday night anyway. It was a case of them just wanting to establish that, you know, this is how you can go racing. I'm not sure you needed to spend four grand to do that, but anyway, that's how it all got played out. Um, and I think that like the context of the battle is always important in this thing. Like they tried to go through it all on in in the broadcast on Sunday with oh well, there's this many millimeters of overlap, and if you're here and here's the white line, like it doesn't need to be an exact science. Like, flexibility there is in the rules. You need basic guidelines of how you can race, guys. But this was two guys punching it out for the race win. Like just let them do that. They were actually sorting it out on their own, and you know. There could have been no complaints with that really from either of them because they were both pushing their luck massively. But it's almost like a, a, a redress after, you know, you've punted. If Shane had served Brody off the road, then that's not good enough. You've got to get penalised for that. Something has to be changed. But in the context of the battle, it was it was all good, you know, and that needs to be taken into account with these rules. It doesn't always have to be, oh, well, here's, the, here's you know, Here's the B pillar. Here's this. Here's that white line. Here, like just, it was good hard racing, and that's what we want to see. 
yeah, it's it's difficult, obviously, because you need a set yeah. of guidelines. You need the drivers to, to feel like they understand the rules of engagement, as is the term. But yeah, every every battle, every incident is slightly different, so it's hard to be totally black and white. But good on Craig Baird for coming out in the media and yeah. explaining this the best that that he could. And I think just going back to the protest, you're talking about the the fact that there was a protest didn't sort of fit the mood between the drivers that you'd, you'd seen after the race, but this did feel more like a Barry protest than a Brody one. Yeah, for sure. Didn't it? Like there's plenty of niggle in there between Erebus and Triple Eight. And, and those comments were interesting that you got from Barry on Sunday night where he was saying that, um, yeah, they, they knew they weren't going to win the protest and he just wanted to make a point and he wanted to see Shane in front of the stewards for once and, like there's there's rules against putting in a protest that is deemed frivolous, malicious, or vexatious. That's the wording, and I think those comments and the fact it was such a hastily scribbled out protest form with a couple of typos and and the wrong yeah. rule attached, like they'd be flying pretty close to the sun on that being vexatious. I would have thought that they could have had some of these discussions to clarify the rules behind the sheds without putting in a protest that held up the result for an entire day because that's not actually a good thing for the sport. Yeah, no, I think I think so as well. I think there was probably better ways to deal with it. I understand, like, there, there, there's still things when you read the protest notes and the outcome, you know, like it says there was no front-to-rear contact between um, Shane and Brody into six where it really does look on the, foot, on, on the coverage like there was. Um, but still, I just think that, um, yeah, it, it was just two guys going going racing in the way that we want them to go racing, you know, and I think that I, I hope it really was just a case of Erebus wanting to establish what is and isn't acceptable so we can see more of that. Like I hope that is what this was all about because I want to see more of that. That's exactly what we want to see. Do, do you feel like the rules of engagement have changed from that exchange at all? Because I feel like Beardo's explanation was pretty good and I feel like he did explain that there, there Nothing has really changed. Do you feel – because that has been another comment that Barry's made a couple of times that, you know, well, we know now that you can go. But I, I still don't feel like you can go and just offload someone in the bumper into a corner and go past them, even if it's just running them – if it's running them really wide, you know, you can't do that. This was a case of just there was a gap that was just big enough and if anyone, it was Brody not quite leaving enough room and Shane got in there. Do you think anything's actually changed? No, I don't, and and yeah, that's the that's the big difference between tapping someone wide in the rear bumper and sticking it into a gap that's that's small, but it's there, which is what yeah. Shane did on this occasion. And yeah, like my favorite part of it actually was the fact that like it was like a magic trick. There was a tiny gap. Shane stuck it in there, and then there's like this cloud of smoke, and Shane emerges ahead. It yeah. was uh, it was magic TV. No, no, absolutely, and it was. Yeah, like I think it's good, and and if the takeaway from Erebus, if this does just put them in the mindset of yep, let's go and race this hard, let's go and race Shane this hard, then that's actually a good thing. So you know, if that's the outcome of all this, if that's the true outcome of it all, that they feel more comfortable about whether the protest was the way they had to go about establishing that, if that's what they take away from it, and we see more of that, and we'll get onto this topic, but you know, we'll get onto it very soon. It does really. You know, it, it feels like we could see more of this. That's a really good thing. So let's actually move on to that topic now. Um, you know, it does feel like Erebus is the real deal. You know, the heavyweight battle seems to be Triple Eight and Erebus 
right now. Brody was up there in all three races. And I'll tell you what, Will Brown was very impressive on Sunday as well. I actually spoke to Barry for an autosport feature a couple of weeks ago that was meant to be about Brody. The brief was write a story about Brody as the championship leader. And he really flipped it into a story about both of them because he was adamant that there really wasn't much between them. Um, even though we have sort of seen not just at the Grand Prix, not just pre this weekend, but even last year, we probably felt like Brody was maybe edging ahead a little bit. Um, but, you know, Barry really wanted to to make the point that's not necessarily the case and will really look like the real deal on Sunday this weekend. The Saturday, he wasn't right there, but on the Sunday, wow, he really looked good. Yeah, I think one of the strengths they've got at the moment is the harmony between the two drivers and we've seen them yielding to each other on track when the other's in a better strategic position or has more car pace or whatever. So it's important for Barry to maintain that harmony and not having the public messaging all being the Brody show is probably uh, a part of that. But yeah, just looking at Erebus as a whole, like they have just been hugely impressive. Like They've been quick everywhere that these cars have gone. And that's something they they were never able to do with the old car. Yeah, they always had some bogey circuits, which was the same for quite a few teams. But they weren't a reliable front runner, and they've just come out straight away and found a window to work in with this Gen Three package, and they've adapted it track to track as they've gone. And and Brody in that ninety nine car, I mean, they've been able to maximise it pretty much every session which Will yep. hasn't, but no one else has been able to do either. It's been really up and down. So, yeah, I think it's very impressive from a team point of view, but also the way Brody is is applying himself and getting the most out of it pretty much every time. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens from here because when I did speak to Barry, he spoke about how the Grand Prix was such a turning point for Brody and Will just needs the same sort of thing. And Will kind of had the same sort of thing on Sunday here in Perth. So it will be interesting to see if this does kickstart, you know, Will going, oh, hang on a minute, maybe I'm actually a title contender here as well. Uh, and the harmony between them is very interesting because obviously the faster they get and when they're fighting over, you know, bits of tarmac right at the front of the field and fighting over race wins, obviously you start to stray into territory where perhaps that that teammate relationship mm. can become a little bit strained uh, and you can potentially have some issues because at some point someone might not want to yield because they might go, hmm, this bloke's actually won a couple more races than me and I feel like getting one back. And it's actually interesting, too, to have two drivers who are in the same part of their career. Like, they're, they're pretty totally. well the same age. They've come up together. And, yep. like, it, it's worked for them in the sense that, you know, one thing that, that Barry has stressed as well is that they've come with the right attitude. They're not trying to make this car the Gen 2 car. They're not focused on what they had before. They're just working with what they've got now. But, um, yeah, it, it does mean that they're um, yeah they're directly fighting against each other. There's no uh, there's no experienced hand helping helping the junior and, and vice versa. It's uh, yeah, it's just head to head. That is exactly right. That actually says that in my story. They're both fighting to be the next big thing, to be the next A grader. So like, it is very interesting. Like, I know it's it's early in both the season and this generation of the car, but like, are these guys really? Con- I just it just it's starting to feel like that. The weakness isn't going to come. Like it looks, it looks real. The pace looks real right now. Yeah, it's it's obviously still early, but based on everything we've seen, you'd have to say they're they're going to be contenders through the year. I mean, when you look back to when Car of the Future came in for 2013, like BJR really were the bolters early, but they couldn't quite keep it going to to a level where they were going to win a title. 
but it is a bit different now that the rule book is so much tighter so they're not going to get out developed in the same yep. way that you could before but look i mean triple eight is still going to be incredibly tough to beat over yeah. a season and you know brock's had a great start to the year as well so it is a proper two-car attack from from those guys and there'll be other players in the mix as well so yeah like Erebus are looking good but um they're going to need to get everything right to actually win the championship yep absolutely well i grabbed willie b for a chat about his breakthrough weekend here in perth and here's what he had to say um, yeah, not your first race win in supercars, but that race two win today was certainly your most comprehensive. That must have been a pretty cool feeling, having the car under you to just actually drive away from the field like that. Yeah, I think it was awesome. I think uh, having that clear air like uh, Brock said before is just such a big thing in our category and I was able to sort of run my own race, make sure my tyres uh, stayed down in temperature and all of that and uh, yeah, just had awesome car pace in that one. You mentioned the tyre temp a couple of times today. I mean, these Gen 3 cars were meant to be improved on the Gen 2 cars. When you're following, do you feel that there has been a step forward, even if it's not quite perfect? I feel like there's a big step forward in the aero following, yeah. um, but the biggest thing is trying to keep those tyres down. Is It's still the same when you follow someone, you still get tyre temp, but uh, you can definitely follow closer and you don't get the aero wash, which has been awesome. But, uh, yeah, it's it's just one of those things you, you try and sort of drive it as straight as you can so that you can, uh, you know, keep the tyres under underneath you. We saw Brody have his real breakthrough weekend at the Grand Prix. Um, you were really close there, could have got a win. Do you feel like this could be your sort of breakthrough where the floodgates open and the confidence is there that you guys are just there every weekend now? Yeah, I think I think Grand Prix I left there knowing I could do it. I had uh, a lot of good qualifyings and obviously stuffed up in the last one, but that was my own fault, but I didn't leave there thinking I couldn't do it. So, uh, yeah, coming here this weekend, I was a bit disappointed with Saturday, but to roll out today with a win and a second, I'm really happy. Everyone was seeing Gen 3, every team in the midfield was seeing Gen 3 as an opportunity to take it to the big teams. Obviously not everyone was going to do it, but you guys have done it. That must be a pretty amazing feeling. Yeah, I think like you say, everyone thought it was a reset and nobody knew if, if you were going to take it to the big teams. And, and uh, I think that was the hardest thing. Like I know we thought we were going to and we were hoping to and, and when we've been quite lucky to do that. But uh, yeah, definitely... Um, you know, we're nowhere near as big as Red Bull and to and to take it to them, like we've got, uh, you know, sort of two engineers and one data engineer, they've got about six or seven. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it is a lot bigger team and for us to just be, uh, just, you know, be so consistent and that's a big thing. But mentally, do you have that reset that you don't think, well, they've got such a refined, excellent package that we can't run down? Do you feel like your car is as good as what's out there now? Well, yeah, well, they're all the same. We, we built them really well. The boys did an awesome job. So to be honest, I think everyone's on a very even playing field uh, right now. And it's just about how, how good of a job you do with what you have. Like you know, everyone's got the same suspension components, chassis and uh, everything. So I can't, I can't see a difference. Driving-wise, not every driver likes them. Shane was in this room, press conference room, two days ago talking about how even after he won a race that he doesn't love driving the cars. How do you yep. find them? You guys seem to have adopted a bit of a get-on-with-it sort of attitude. Yeah, I think it's the category we're in and I think it's produced good racing and that's what they wanted to do. And to be honest, I'm one of those people that just get used to it. I'll drive whatever and I'll drive it as fast as I can and that's what I'm looking at with this. I don't find the Gen 3 bad to drive or bad to race. So that's obviously his opinion and, um, you know, that's that's fine. But, um, yeah, I don't find him so bad. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. 
Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. All right, Stefan, we saw a few changes to the Gen 3 cars heading into the Perth weekend. Some expected, some less so. So the engine fire thing seems to be under control. We didn't see any more exploding Mustangs over the weekend, um, as well as the uh, venting solution that was in place. Teams also added fire retardant paint to the upper part of the guards in the engine bay to stop them absorbing any flammable material and all that stuff combined. Seems to have put this fires thing to bed uh, for now. And we saw the Fords debut new engine mapping, which was focused on throttle response mostly um, for the weekend, although the consensus from the driver seemed to be that it made no real difference. Supercars also trialed different shift cuts across the Mustangs in practice uh, with the 50 millisecond cut that has been used so far this season, continuing in some of the cars and a 30 millisecond uh, cut trialed in others. So that is effectively the time that it takes after the shift for the power to come back in. It's not the time across the shift, it's after the shift. Um, that didn't seem to make any difference in practice either. So it was scrapped after that and all cars went back to the 50 milliseconds from Saturday qualifying onwards. We still haven't seen a Mustang win a race yet, Stefan. Uh, and even though the margins were tight in Perth, there is still a sense from Ford and its drivers that the engine isn't quite where it needs to be in terms of how it reacts to the throttle and delivers the torque and power. Um, Given we're off to what is effectively like a couple of drag strips connected by a couple of corners uh, next in Tassie, I think we're going to hear a bit more about this in the weeks to come. What do you reckon, Stefan? Yeah, clearly we will. I mean, Simmons Plains is going to put it totally under the microscope because not only is it a couple of long straights, but it's, again, a very short lap. So the margins are going to be tiny. And, and like, regardless of how Simmons looks, I think this is an issue that's just going to keep going because – They've yep. got two fundamentally different engines now. And For sure. in supercars, everything is so tight that any any discrepancy is just gonna be gonna be magnified. And you talk about the four drivers, I mean, I think they're in they're in a tough spot because it it doesn't help to have this question mark in in the head about have I got the same opportunity as these yep. other guys? And then even just on the sort of media side. I mean, some of them clearly want to speak about it, but at the same time, like it's easy to look like a goose when you're getting beaten by other Ford teams. Or yeah. in some cases, there's another bloke in your garage that smells like champagne, but you are you want to be out there talking about parity. So I think full credit here to David Reynolds. Like out of the seven sessions on the weekend, he was the top Ford in six of them. And yeah. the other one, he got taken out by Anton. So, you know, you look at that stuff and go, whether there's a parity issue or not, DJR, Tickford, and Walkinshaws, they've got a bit of room there to improve. They can't get sucked into believing it's all about parity. No, for sure. No, definitely. But, yeah, there's still – I still feel like there is something that's not quite right. The interesting thing is that, you know, there were some comments from from Adrian Burgess following the weekend about talking about the qualifying times and how, you know, there was three tenths across the top 20 in qualifying one. I mean, there's a couple of factors there. One, you know, the closer the field actually is – I feel like in a way you've got more ammo to go, well, hang on a minute, even if this thing is only costing me, you know, half a tenth, that might cost me three rows on the grid. Like this is actually, you know, the tighter it gets, the more critical it is that everything is actually exactly right. The other thing is that it doesn't seem to be as big an issue in qualifying. Nearly all of the four drivers are saying, because the way you drive a car in qualifying is very different to the way you drive it in a race. 
the rhythm and, and the way you use the throttle and everything is just completely different. So unless you're out front and you're just trying to drive away from the field. So it seems to be, you know, an issue with the way that the, the power comes back in, the power and torque come back in on the throttle. Uh, and it's something that can be managed and doesn't really make a big difference in qualifying. But when you're actually trying to race other cars, it becomes very, very noticeable. So I think we're going to hear just so much of it. And it's just so much. Now we can't just rely on, we know we can't just rely on accumulated engine power to to determine parity because the motors are so different. It's going to be a tricky road from here, I reckon. Yeah, and some of this stuff gets to the very limit of the, the tolerances that they can actually measure things to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it uh, develops. Lucky there's much smarter people than you and I sorting this problem out, Stefan, because, um, yeah, it is definitely tricky and it is a bit messy. Let's cover off a unique format for the weekend, uh, particularly when it came to practice where we saw that single 90-minute session. We also saw the first use of the knockout qualifying format on the Saturday with the first use with these Gen 3 cars, I should clarify. Uh, there was a bit of chat about there being too much practice and qualifying over the weekend, but I actually thought the format was okay. I didn't mind the longer practice. I feel like it was sort of served up as the teams as a as a test session, basically, with these new cars. They needed some some proper running with it. They could sink their teeth into some stuff, and they got that, and the, the vibe was fairly good on that. And I like the knockout qualifying. My only criticism is that Q2 and Q3 were probably a bit long. Like, it, neither of them needed to be 15 minutes. Q3 probably could have been eight minutes, and that would have been enough for 10 cars to go and get their two runs in. Um, anyway, let's have a listen to what uh, team bosses Stephen Grove and Tim Blanchard had to say about the long format practice uh, in the press conference on Friday afternoon. From our perspective, it's good. It just, you know, especially the new car um, and, and getting as much track time uh, with Maddie as well. Um, I really like the format um, because it just gives us such a long period of time to do a lot of changes and a lot of uh, testing and trying different things. So for us, it's, yeah, yeah, I like it. I know from the team perspective, I agree. I think that you can do race run, do some quality sim. You can achieve a lot that you normally can't in say a thirty minute session. Um, I'd be interested to see what the feedback is from from the fans. I guess you know, from a fan perspective, it, it gets a lot more interesting watching those last five minutes when everyone puts tires on and the last few minutes watching people jump up and down. So. Um, whether having two or three separate sessions we get two or three effective results even though it's only practice throughout the day whether that's more interesting for for the fans but i think for, from a team perspective especially with these new cars we're trying to develop them i think uh more laps and having the window to be able to do some proper changes and race race runs is uh beneficial uh Stephen, your thoughts on that practice format yeah i don't really have a firm view on on the practice side of it i mean it's sort of uh, seemed pretty well received by the teams and there's a few areas where they could could tweak it including capping the amount of laps if they're worried about um, uh, cost and, and blowing out the kilometers but um, certainly the I agree with you on the knockout qualifying segments being a bit long and drawn out I think that's a little bit of a more important point from a from a spectator point of view and there is obviously a few things to consider with that like if you bring it down too much, it can actually give the guys at the pit exit end of pit lane an extra push lap compared to those down the back. So they have to be wary of, of that. And then there's also a desire to spread the runs out a bit on such a short track so you don't have people tripping over each other. And I think the weekend was pretty clean from that perspective. And Simmons, again, is a short track and they've scheduled the segments as 15 minutes each there. So we'll see if uh, they go ahead with that or they look to tighten it up. 
Yeah, I like, totally get what you're saying, but I think you could come a long way back from 15 minutes and still for, – for 10 cars and still have plenty of space and time no matter what end of pit lane you're at to go and get your runs done on a what is, you know, a 54-second lap. Um, but, yeah, I think that's it. So it was just sort of the air sort of came out of the session again at the end in that Q3 where it sort of felt like nothing was really happening when we'd seen some quite energetic qualifying action up to that point. Anyway, the Super 2 season roared back into life on the weekend as well. Um, and I'll tell you what, those Gen 2 WAU cars looked pretty ordinary in Perth last year, but they looked uh, sharp this time around the hands of Ryan Wood and Zach Bates. Ryan in particular was super impressive with his first two race wins in Super 2. Um, very well executed apart from his starts. That's an area that still needs a little bit of work. Stefan, this is a good Super 2 field this year, and this kid looks like the real deal. Oh, how good was he? It was great to watch, and uh, he's got a friendship there with Shane Van Gisbergen, and uh, you could uh, sort of draw a few parallels. You mentioned the bad starts, yeah, um, which Shane actually joked about on the weekend. He did. It's, uh, yeah, something that he's got from him. But then, like, yeah, coming back and making some moves, and even that um, safety car restart where he sort of just applied a bit of intimidation to Kai Allen, and, and Kai made a mistake. That was, uh, that was very impressive for uh, Ryan in his second um, Super 2 round. And I think he's just a great story. And, and like full credit to WAU for making his program work this year. Like we all know Super 2 is mostly pay to play. But from what I'm told, Ryan doesn't really have any money. So this deal was a case of him blitzing everyone at an evaluation day test last year. Yeah. And essentially Walkinshaw's engineering team led by its tech director Carl Foe just insisting they have to do whatever it takes to sign this kid up and get him in the car and and from Ryan's side I mean he snubbed the Porsche scholarship to go Super 2 racing you know he works at the WAU factory and he's clearly just very fast so yeah let's hope he can uh, keep it going through the year and then who knows where he ends up from there. Absolutely. We saw a podium for Aaron Love as well in the Blanchard Mustang. He had a bit of luck in that second race with Zach Bates taking out Brad Vaughan um, on a restart there. But, you know, we Aaron was so dominant in Carrera Cup last year. He seems like a mega talent as well that could well be at that kind of Ryan Wood level. But I don't know, the BRT program seems to lack a bit of potency compared to what WAU is doing with its Super 2 entries. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean... Tim Blanchard has been pretty open about how hard it's been to get staff to run their main game car, let alone now adding a Super 2 entry this year. And obviously there is a little bit of a bigger picture with with the expansion of that team and potentially going to a second main game car as early as next year. But yeah, back to Aaron Love, like clearly he is very capable. And as you said earlier, it's just a great Super 2 field this year when you throw in the likes of Vaughan and and Allen and Cooper Murray and these guys like, this series is certainly not a slam dunk for Zach Best. Oh, definitely not. doesn't even feel remotely like that at the moment. And we certainly, just to touch on the format a little bit, you know, we saw the longer races for the first time. I mean, it was, the racing was pretty clean for what that category is. I mean, apart from, you know, Zach Bates' Scandinavian flick straight <laughs> in the back of Brad Vaughan into turn one, which was quite impressive really. But, um, yeah, we didn't see the usual Super 2 madness that we kind of see, and I think it, I think it's less about adding 10 minutes of the race time and more about the fact that 
there's a bunch of kids there that are just really good and they're going to get better at driving these cars. And obviously Newcastle was such a difficult place if you're making your debut and so many of them are at that, particularly at that Super 2 level. And now we're sort of seeing them find their rhythm and just get pretty good at driving these cars. And I think that's probably why we have seen and will hopefully see some quite good, clean racing. But, yeah, it's a great it's a great Super 2 year. There's absolutely mm. no doubt I, about that. I think that. that started a bit in, in practice as well. Like it was just a bit cleaner and there was a bit more running and uh, – yeah, everyone was a bit more sorted by the time they got to racing. Before we get off the topic of Perth entirely, Steph, and I'm not sure if you caught any of the super utes over the weekend, but 19 cars on the grid, some pretty entertaining racing. It feels like that category is kind of finally hitting its straps. It's sort of – it's a legit thing. I must admit I didn't uh, catch any of the super utes on the weekend, but uh, now that it's come with your glowing endorsement, I might have to uh, – Go back and have a look. I did hear some good reports about James Courtney's work in the commentary on that series. So, um, yeah, he's obviously uh, sharpening his uh, already impressive media skills in case uh, he needs to call on them once his racing career is done. But uh, it does look a fair way from done at the moment with his form on the track too. Yeah, very true. But, no, you're right. I'm quite hard to please when it comes to uh, categories and whether they're good or bad. So that is a glowing endorsement, and I'm glad you've recognised that. For for what it is, but no, it was it was actually like yeah, the category looked it, it looked it looked good. I think there's some pretty positive stuff going on there. Let's circle back to Shane Van Gisberg and Stefan and this multi-year air quotes deal he has signed with Triple Eight. Uh, this was something that was simmering away when I spoke to Shane last week, but he wasn't quite ready to roll it out publicly. He has um, since gone public with more details of the deal, which is in concrete terms a single-year deal despite how the team has been labelling it both in its announcement and through other media outlets. Um, so basically SVG is locked in for the 2024 season at Triple Eight, and at some point in the first half of next season he has the option to trigger another year with Triple Eight if he wants to. He can also stroll into the sunset and under something new outside of supercars should he decide to do that instead. Um, either way, there's been... There's certainly been some enthusiasm from Shane to ensure that that is clear, that, you know, it is clear that he isn't locked in beyond next year. And all of this happens right as we expect him to make his NASCAR debut with Trekhouse Racing midway through this year. Stefan, what did you make of the rollout of this kind of additional element to the news and what it could mean for Shane? Yeah, it's certainly not a good look for a race team to announce one thing and then for the driver a few days later to say, well, hang on a minute. Like, Triple Eight clearly wanted to sell the message that Shane is committed to them, but the story is a bit different. But that aside, it seems like a really smart deal for Shane, doesn't it? I mean, if he stays yeah. in supercars, of course he's not going to go anywhere else. No. But clearly he's got an eye on whatever other challenges could be out there. And, yeah, the prospect of him doing this NASCAR race in Chicago is pretty tasty. Yeah, I think he could be pretty tough to beat in a NASCAR on a street circuit as well, so it would be very interesting. But, yeah, there certainly seems like there is more to this and that he does have some sort of plan um, that does involve not being locked in beyond next season. But, as you say, what a wonderful situation to be in to, if that doesn't come to pass, to go, cool, all right, well, I'll just continue with uh, with Triple Eight and keep winning races and doing that sort of stuff. So, yeah, he's in a pretty good spot there. Uh, another fascinating bit of news to come of the weekend was this potential tie-up between WAU and Simona Di Silvestro. Now, the former Supercars driver has been linked to the WAU Bathurst 1000 wildcard, which has been bubbling away in the background for some time now. The first step 
is, of course, the wildcard actually going ahead, which will depend on availability of hardware and funding, all the stuff that you need, like a car and money. You sort of need those things to do something like this. Um, if it does happen, it appears that, you know, it could well be Simona and Luffy in that third WAU Mustang. And, of course, Stefan, we know that that means that Simona will definitely finish on the podium at the Bathurst 1000 because <laughs> that's what happens when you team up with Luffy. Yeah, I mean, it would be great to see Simona back. Like, it was a real shame, I think, that she didn't return as a co-driver straight after her full-time stint in supercars because uh, she would have been a real shot at being on the podium or maybe even winning the race in the right car given yeah. her years of experience uh, as a primary driver. But, um, yeah, clearly it would be a little harder to do it in a wild card to actually get a big result because you've essentially got two co-drivers together. But I think let's just wait and see with this story because, as you say there, it's a, it's a long way from, from locked in and, and hardware clearly is an issue. Everyone has had a hell of a workload with this new car, but particularly Walkinshaws. I mean, you know, the issues they've had with Nick's car at Newcastle and Albert Park, they've, they've had a big workload. So there's still potential there too for Luffy to be loaned out to another team if they don't run the wild card. So we'll just see which way they go. Yeah, and cost is obviously a big issue as well. Teams are all struggling with the fact that these cars aren't all that much cheaper to run and are in fact a fair bit more expensive. So running a third one may suddenly be a mountain that gets a little too big to climb, but we'll see what happens. All right, let's take a look at what is happening around the world. Sergio Perez won the Azerbaijan Grand Prix ahead of Red Bull teammate Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. That made it a double for the Mexican, who also won the sprint race in Baku. Oscar Piastri finished the Grand Prix 11th despite battling illness throughout the weekend. Francesco Bagnoia overcame KTM pair Brad Binder and Aussie Jack Miller to win the Spanish MotoGP race, the trio finishing in that order. Scott McLaughlin added another IndyCar win to his tally with victory over Romain Grosjean and Will Power at Barber Motorsports Park. Toyota's unbeaten start to the World Endurance Championship season continued at Spa with victory going to Mike Conway, Jose Maria Lopez and Kamui Kobayashi. Martin Truex Jr. snapped a 54-race winless streak with a victory in the NASCAR Cup Series race at Dover right after his brother Ryan Truex won the Xfinity Series race. And Benny Barguana made a solid start to the all-new TCR World Tour in Portugal with 17th and 12th from the two races. That secured him the TCR Europe Rookie Trophy. The race wins went to Norbert Michelers and Santiago Urusha. Okay, Castro mailbag time. Colin Weber asks, why did Supercars coverage never use carco.com.au raceway? All the coverage I saw was Wanneroo Raceway, which I thought was strange given the sport's normally supportive of sponsors. It was like the ABC radio calling Marvel Stadium Docklands as they don't do sponsor names. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Colin. There's certainly been some criticism of the new name of the circuit, which I do get because it is a very clumsy name having you know, a web address in it. Um, but at the same time, we kind of shouldn't turn our noses up at a company investing in our sport. And that investment is actually a year-round benefit to the WA Sporting Car Club and the the venue there at Wanneroo. For people like myself that are members and race there regularly, it's not actually a supercars-specific deal. And that's kind of the point, you know. I do remember the initial Carco announcement from the WASCC specifically mentioning the broadcast of the supercars. But ultimately, like the deal is between the club and the company, Supercars and Fox Sports don't get a cent of any money that's changing hands. So there's no formal obligation for it to be referenced by its commercial name in the broadcast. Um, there's also plenty for Supercars to juggle with the event having another naming rights sponsor in Bosch, and that's money that 
goes to supercars and is then used or part of that or, you know, is part of the pot that's used to pay the WA Sporting Car Club for use of the venue to host the round because supercars promotes that Perth event itself these days. I guess, Stefan, this is kind of a murky one for supercars because, you know, unlike footy where it's quite common, we don't see a lot of sponsor names for venues. There's no sort of hard and fast rule of how how they're kind of utilised. Yeah, it is a bit unusual, but it's easy to forget that in all these years, Barber Gallo was also a sponsor. It yep. was just so synonymous with the place that that everyone called it that. Um, so, yeah, but as you say, it's not very common elsewhere and it'll be interesting to see what happens out at the bend because they announced a 10-year naming rights sponsorship from Viva Energy as part of, part of the bigger deal going on there, but they didn't actually announce what the new name was. So uh, we'll see what the name is and if, if Supercars ends up using it. I believe it's going to be called uh, Inferior to Castrol Oil Raceway. That's what that I've heard. Be, on the, yeah, I'm sure that'll get a big run on this podcast if they roll it that out. Yeah, that's that's just what I've heard. I don't. We'll see. We'll see. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol stars of the week, Steph. And this week, my Castrol star is going to Walkinshaw's team chef Nathan Turner. Now, Nathan, a man who previously sported quite lengthy curls, made a bet with Ryan Wood that if Ryan won a race on the weekend. He could shave those curls off, and as we covered off, Ryan won. And on Saturday night, out came the Clippers from Team Hairdresser Tony. Yes, the Team Hairdresser. And Ryan got down to business. He also pledged a 1000 bucks to the world's greatest shave, so it wasn't just a good laugh, but one for a good cause. And speaking of random Walkinshaw-related facts, Stefan, I've got an absolute beauty for you here. Did you know that Team Principal Bruce Stewart is allegedly a top five drawer of sharks in the Southern Hemisphere? That's what he claims anyway. I'm not sure how that's measured. I don't. He's very light on detail of how he actually achieved that ranking, but his hobby is drawing sharks and he drew some beauties on Nick Perkett's tyres ahead of practice on Friday. I'll let you just mull that one over for a second. That, uh, that is amazing. So you say top five. Does he sometimes get on the podium but it's a bit inconsistent? Well, or is it, just so always- it – it, it depends. He, 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 some people say top three and he, he sort of says, I, I feel like, you know, if he's going to make something up, he should probably try and at least get his made up facts straight. But it's, uh, it's, he draws a good shark. I'm telling you, they look really good. They look really good, but I've just never heard. And I come from a town that is very passionate about sharks. We have a lot of them over here uh, and I've never heard of the Southern Hemisphere shark drawing championships. But anyway, that's his claim and he's, um, he's sticking with it. Fantastic. Well, I've got a segue somehow my star of the week off the back of that. Um, And I'm going to uh, stretch the boundaries of the star of the week a little bit here. I'm going to give mine collectively to this new generation of drivers who are shining in these Gen 3 cars. The three blokes there on the podium in race three, Brock Feeney, Will Brown and Brody Kostecki, have an average age of just 23 and the V8 Sleuth stats man Shane Rogers tells me that's the youngest podium by average age in championship history. Oh, well. Wow. So, yeah, the previous benchmark was set all the way back in 2006 in Adelaide with Jamie's first win where he was on the podium with Todd and Rick Kelly. But, um, yeah, stats aside, like there's a few others you could throw in there too, like who had some great form on the weekend, like Matt Payne, who probably deserves a, a mention. But, uh, yeah, this year has certainly started with some high notes for some of those young guys. I can't believe I was talking about someone drawing sharks on tyres and you were like, time to press the boundaries of what's acceptable as a Castrol star. I think that 
that was fairly legit. So good work on uh, on sort of getting on that train of thought and for Shane Rogers for figuring all that stuff out. Anyway, that is it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe and review our work wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.